Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Adkins, and today I'm here with Daniel M. Hello, hello. And our special guest. The book. A book. A book. The book. The One book. One of the best books. When it comes to leadership, when it comes to organizational leadership yes. and organizational health, yeah, Period. probably the best one out there right now. And then now. one of my favorite Lencioni books. Yes. So the, if it has Lencioni on it, I'm going to read it. Yeah. Hands down. No kidding. But this is a really good Okay, but, but even is it because Lencioni's it doesn't standard. have a fable? I think so, because I hate fables. Yeah, I didn't like the fable either. Although, I listened to the team player one. What did you think about that? You know, ideal team every, player? yeah, the ideal team player. All the other ones I read, and I just kind of skipped over the fable and went to the, the right. Meet. But that one, I but the ideal team player I listened to, and it was actually pretty amusing. Like I <laughs> like I didn't skip to the end. I listened hey, through man. it all, and maybe maybe it stuck with me more. I'm not here to be amused. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe but maybe the principle stuck with me more because maybe. I sat in the story. Well, so yeah, and that's part of the issue that I have because you know, if I'm walking a church through 7 as uh pipeline framework, the very first thing we're going to start with is story and the yeah. importance of scripture, but the stories from scripture and the stories that we tell in our churches to help embed that that culture. So stories are super important because they are memorable. They so are. Maybe I should <laughs> <laughs> like well, actually, you know, you don't have to worry about that for this one That's because true. today on today's book breakdown, cue the music. The we advantage have, we do oh, have yeah. music, yeah, it's it's pretty rocking music <laughs> <laughs> that's going on right now. Uh, the advantage, the advantage by Patrick Lencioni. So let's get into. If you missed any of our previous book breakdowns, what we basically do is we run through five questions. You know, we have a lot of sub questions that we run through as right. well. But five leadership questions podcast. We had to That's keep with five. One. Yeah. So we walk through the book. We break it down for you. And hopefully, um, depending on the book, sometimes the breakdown is all you need. And other times it's worth it to read a summary for further information or even go listen to it or read it. So that's our point to really be able to provide you with practical applicable information that yep. you can implement this week in light of this book. So let's get started. The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. What is the book? Question number one. And why does it matter? Well, it's really about um, organizational health versus what we typically think of as, as being health in an organization. Mm. You know, the disciplines of marketing and sales and all these things that are, are typically associated with a business versus the actual health of the business. So it's more about the nickels and noses. Yeah, and you know you know what immediately came to my mind when I read that and I was like, okay, I read the book, I love the book, but how does Lencioni himself put it? You know, how, how do they market the book? And they market it as a organizational health book. And immediately I thought of church health and I was like, okay, uh, yeah. I wonder what the parallels are uh, because if you've been around church leadership world for for the last few decades, there's been an emphasis. There was a huge emphasis on church growth, right? And then it went towards church health, right? Right. There was that. There was that turn there, and I don't necessarily know what the term is right now, or what we can use to to sum up practices around church leadership and all that stuff. But yeah, that that was the first thing that popped into my mind. I wonder what parallels this has to 
church health as a discipline? I think it has a lot. <laughs> okay. So organizational health, this is all about building a cohesive leadership team, uh, establishing clarity among leaders, communicating that clarity to everyone and reinforcing that clarity. So honestly, if you were to think about this book, health and clarity, health and clarity over and over and over again, he just talks about that and really gives you four disciplines. I didn't want, I don't want to mix this up with the four disciplines of execution. No, but, but it is the four disciplines you mentioned, build cohesive leadership team, create clarity, over communicate clarity, and then reinforce that clarity. Yeah. So later on uh, in one of the questions, when we talk about how this applies to the church, we'll break down each of the four and, and walk through what that all looks like for your church and for your, um, for your, le your leadership. So we'll break down those four disciplines. All right. The interesting thing that came to my mind as we were, as I was thinking about this question, Todd, uh, was that Lencioni calls this, you know, calls organizational health. He calls it the last competitive advantage. Right. right. So he talks about other competitive advantages, you know, being we have a better strategy than you or or we have uh, a better, better technology than you or, or we have more money or we have more know how into marketing. And he was like, those are not competitive advantages anymore. Right. Uh, he's saying that those disciplines haven't disappeared. They're all alive and well in organizations and also in churches. Uh, they're, they're good. They're important. But one of the biggest differentiators that sets apart one company from another uh, is that, and that is really health, right? It, it comes around health. It comes around clarity and it comes around the four disciplines that he talks about here. Right. 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 Yeah. So the next question for us are the book quick hitters. And the first question for our book quick hitters is who is the author? Patrick Lenzioni. Patty. Patty. <laughs> the guy who drinks boxed water he during the Willow Creek Leadership water. Summit. You oh, remember yeah. that? Boxed water. Yeah. That was the first time I ever saw someone drink boxed water. That's, that's an interesting twist. Yeah. And I was sure. like, is this, is this marketing? It's so <laughs> everything is marketing. <laughs> so you might know him from a lot of the other books that he wrote. Man, um, <laughs> all the, I mean, there's so many. Yes, Wars, the five disciplines of execution, death by meeting. Yes, that's probably his most pop popular book. Death by meeting. Yeah, because we all hate meetings. <laughs> that's why. Yeah. We're both trying to make the other person ask about quotes, by the way. So this is just a stalemate. If I'm, you hear me being quiet, it's because I'm trying to get Daniel to ask the question about quotes in the book. So that's all this is. It's a build up to that to see who can say the quote that we both want to say first. <laughs> yes, we will see who wins. <laughs> So Patrick Lencioni is the founder of The Table Group, uh, 11 books on his website, 11 books. 11? And he's, that's sold 5 million copies, translated into 30 languages. And I love what the Wall Street Journal says about him. I think of six or seven. How can I not think of 11? Yeah, because I, I didn't read the one called Getting Naked. I don't know that one. Yeah. And no. The Truth About Employee Engagement. I didn't read that one either. Me either. And The Three Big Questions for Fren Frantic Family. I was going to say frenetic family, <laughs> but it could work. It's, it's yeah. Works. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this guy is legit. He's a believer as well. I mean, he, I mean, obviously from what we can hear, yes. we don't know him personally, but uh, you know, I, I, I say that because he's been more vocal about his faith. 
right. recently. So it's been cool to see that and how he's really dipping his toes in and helping church leaders as well. But this book is not a church leader book, nope. even though it works for church leaders. Extremely. A well. lot of it. Uh, it's a business book. All right. So who is the book written for, Todd? Business leaders. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'm just going to answer that question. Yeah. Um, it is written for business leaders, but anybody who runs an organization would benefit, whether it's for-profit, non-profit, church, um, anybody who is leading a team and trying to shift from what we would traditionally see as the marks of a healthy organization, which mm-hmm. is all about being smart, to the shift of being healthy. He would say, hey, it's... It's easier to be smart now than it's ever been before. There's tons of tools. Uh, there's tons of resources toward that end, but it's uh, it, it's it's really shifting from being a smart organization to a healthy organization. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Um, yeah, so Patrick Lencioni, awesome. So honestly, at the end of this podcast, if this isn't if this is if you have never read a Patrick Lencioni book, yeah. Yeah. Do it. Yes, completely. All right. Even if you have to skip <laughs> the stories in the beginning of the chapters. Yeah. And if you don't like the stories, just read this one. That's right. Because this is Sans This will be a great intro for you. All right. Okay, Daniel, what is your favorite quote about the fundamental at- attribution error? <laughs> All right. I'll let you introduce no, that no, one. No, no, I just did. No, it's I, okay. I served it up to you. It's okay. I'll I'm let a you. servant. I did I'm have servant one. leader. I did have one better, though. <laughs> a better quote than that? Yeah. So why don't you go with the fun? You you said it, so you you do it. And then I'll well, do the, okay. the so biases. I'll talk about biases. I like a... Um, less wordy, uh, a less wordy way of saying it. But here's the actual quote, and then I'll tell you the way to say it in one sentence instead of three. Mr. Tweetable right here. Uh, The fundamental attribution error is the tendency of human beings to attribute negative or frustrating behaviors of their colleagues into intentions and personalities Mm -hmm. while attributing their own negative or frustrating behaviors to environmental factors. Wow. That's crazy. I don't actually know that I have to... (laughs) restate that. I mean, there was an and or in there, but it's basically, hey, when we are negative or frustrated, it's about our environment. Yeah. When someone else is negative or frustrated, we assume that it is uh, (laughs) something about their character. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, but it's true. That is the fundamental attribution error. Think about your own life. Let's close in prayer. Yeah, seriously. I think that's it. How is this applied? How can you apply this to your church? What can you do this week? That. Right. So, Daniel, (laughs) all the problems you have with me. Yeah. It's not about me, bro. No, it's not. No. (laughs) It's about you. No. Yeah. Well, it's about the environment. I mean, you think about even relationships and individuals who go from relationship to Uh, relationship. Let's think about marriage. Yeah. (laughs) No, no. It's perfectly okay for me to be upset, frustrated, fill in the blank, you know, um, I got upset or I, you know, maybe talk too loudly or have a bad attitude because of my environment. Mm. And, you know, uh, that will be what I say about me. And I don't give my wife the grace and the break. I'm going to, I'm going to channel Paul Tripp here for a minute. <laughs> Which if you haven't listened to that episode, oh, so we've good. been getting some great feedback online right now so far. Right. So yes. Okay, so good. Give me another quote. Okay. So this one is a long one. Uh, and this is what he says before leaders can tap 
into the power of organizational health. They must humble themselves enough to overcome the three biases that prevent them from embracing it. So this is the long nature of it, but you're going to enjoy this. First bias that we have that prevents us from tapping into the power of organizational health is the sophistication bias. So this is how he puts it. Organizational health is so simple and accessible that many leaders have a hard time seeing it as a real opportunity for meaningful advantage. After all, it doesn't require great intelligence or sophistication, just uncommon levels of discipline, courage, persistence and common sense in an age where we have come to believe that differentiation and dramatic improvement can be only found in complexity. It's hard for well-educated executives slash leaders and in, in my words here, pastors to embrace something so simple and straightforward. The second bias is the adrenaline bias. Becoming a healthy organization takes a little You're time. You're right. This is long. <laughs> it is long, but it's good. Unfortunately, many of the leaders I've worked with suffer from a chronic case of adrenaline addiction, seemingly hooked on the daily rush of activity and firefighting within their organizations. If you remember back, you know, side note, pause, quote, if you remember back to our four disciplines of execution breakdown, that's the whole idea of the whirlwind that we talked about. All right, back to the quote. It's as though they're afraid to slow down and deal with issues that are critical, but don't seem particularly urgent. As simple as this may seem, it remains a serious obstacle for many dysfunctional organizations led by executives who don't don't understand that old race car driver's axiom. Well, this is one of my quotes now. You have to slow down in order to go fast. That's right. <laughs> All right, last bias, and then I'll throw it back to you, Todd. The quantification bias. The benefits of becoming a healthy organization, as powerful as they are, are difficult to accurately quantify. Organizational health permeates so many aspects of a company that isolating any one variable and measuring its financial impact is almost impossible to do in a precise way. That certainly doesn't mean the impact isn't real, tangible, and massive. It just requires a level of conviction and intuition that many overly analytical leaders have a hard time accepting. There you go. The three biases that prevent organizational health. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple short ones. And I will take not as much time. <laughs> Although those were really good. I could tell you were getting bored while I was. I was. I was starting <laughs> checking my phone, reading the label on the back of the Diet Coke I'm drinking, seeing if I could find every letter of the alphabet in the, in the label. Um, no, I actually do that sometimes, which is a little OCD issue I have. Nonetheless, here's a couple of quotes. See, you're taking too much time right now. If I'm bored. Hey, look, I what, still huh? have a good three minutes before I even come close to you, brother. <laughs> I, I think that's the first time I said brother on the podcast, too. Brother? Brother. Uh, if people don't weigh in, they can't buy in. Mm. So that is, you know, getting people's uh, feedback and stuff. Uh, the fear of conflict is almost always a sign of problems. So I've talked a lot about healthy conflict on the podcast. I think that definitely holds true. So where there's trust, conflict becomes nothing but the pursuit of truth and attempt to find the best possible answer. That's what a healthy environment looks like. Having the courage to confront, but also having the type of relationships within an organization so that you can do that. Yeah. Um, so those are things that I, I uh, hold near and dear and, and love seeing echoed in this book. All right. Perfect. Do you have any more quotes? Uh, there's no such thing as too much clear communication. I like that one too. 
Yeah, that is good. I mean, he talks, uh, this is a, actually he says, though this is pretty straightforward, <laughs> it's worth stating that most of a leadership team's objectives should be collective ones. And I think a lot of times as leaders, especially if you're the lead leader, uh, it's, it's, you know, you know, there's wisdom in buy-in, you know, there's wisdom in creating direction and objective with one another, but it just takes a little bit more time. Uh, and although it does take a little bit more time, I mean, it, it, it is, it is a better way to go when it comes to leading change, when it comes to everything that we've talked about on this podcast with Lifeway Leadership, all the leadership pipeline coaching that we do as well. I mean, it really can only, leadership pipeline, your organization and your church can only implement a leadership pipeline when you do it together, right? And that's why I taught even when we do our coaching, we'll see individuals from churches come and then they'll come back or they'll invite us to their church and be like, okay, I realize I can't do this on my own. Here's the, (laughs) yes, the scenario often goes, I came and maybe I came by myself or one other person. Then I send a few more people. Yeah. And then I invite you to come (laughs) for two days and hang out in Indianapolis. Yes. With my staff. Yeah. That's often what happens with them. Yeah. And what's, what's fascinating, right? I mean, the more we get into each of these podcasts and, and each of the books, just how important leadership is, how important recruitment is, how important development is. Right. Right. So. And, and I would say, you know, one of the things again, that resonates with the advantage is the idea of clarity. Mm. All is, it's all over this book. And so um, when we consider our churches, I would say one of the things that we are most the, the least discipline at doing is making sure that things are clear and common sense. I mean, he yeah. mentioned those things. He mentioned common sense. He mentions clarity. He mentions discipline. And those are three things that we often find lacking and we just continue to drift toward complexity and drift toward uh, a drift in our mission. Yeah. So, all right. Anyway. Similar books, similar books. Start with why mm-hmm. by Simon Sinek. Yes. That's huge clarity. And whether if Barnabas was on the podcast, he would begin debating whether or not it should have been a book or should have just stated or should have been a TED talk and channeling our inner Barnabas right there. (laughs) Uh, I think anything that Will writes, Will Mancini writes from uh, A God Dreams or uh, I mean, just about anything he does on Vision Clarity. Mm -hmm. Church Unique. It's all about clarity. Yeah, it is. It is. uh, Honestly, any other Patrick Lencioni book? Yes. If yeah. you like this, you'll like that. <laughs> yeah, completely. All right. Now, last question before how this applies to the church. Is this a summary, skim, sit down, or listen? Sit down. Sit down? Yep. So you wouldn't listen to this one? This is a staff down. Oh, yeah. You're right. I mean... This is a don't read it yourself. Yeah, don't do this by yourself. Um, read it with somebody, preferably people that you work with. So, I mean, it talks about, you know, one of the the principles to being able to apply this is that your senior leadership team has to be in lockstep with each other. And so that may be where you start, um, where you do this in lockstep with each other. And then, um, then you could do it with your whole staff if you have a larger, a larger team. Yeah, completely. I agree. Sit down. All right. So the meat of the podcast how is this applicable to leadership in the church? 
well, let's break down the four disciplines or the four steps to organizational health. He talks about the first one being building a cohesive leadership team. Number two, creating clarity. Number three, over communicating clarity. And number four, reinforcing clarity. It almost sounds like, uh, you know, there are three steps to this. And then it's like the same step over and over again. (laughs) Clarity, 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 clarity. Yeah. And then in the book, he talks about his meeting principles and death by meeting and all that. So honestly, if you've never read a Lencioni book, this is a great place to start. But let's start with the first principle, building a cohesive leadership team. What is this all, what is this all about, Todd? So he really breaks it down into uh, five behaviors where he said, hey, the first thing that you have to do that you must do before you do anything else is build trust on the team. Um, so if you remember... I've talked about before where we would actually, when we knew we were going to have conflict, we would invite people outside of our senior leadership team into the room to like listen mm-hmm. and hear and watch us have some conflict because we knew that that would build trust in the organization and what we said in there would actually be conveyed throughout the organization because those people would talk. We actually wanted them to talk because mm-hmm. we wanted them to know how those people in there made that decision. Yeah. Um, because otherwise, you know, people kind of do their own math and they assume things. Um, so building trust, I think, is uh, it will, that's his first one. And I've seen that in, in real life. Next would be mastering conflict. And that's that type of healthy conflict that we talked about. Um, behavior three is achieving commitment. Uh, then embracing accountability and focusing on results. And this is where, honestly, if we go back to the four disciplines, which he mentions discipline, mm-hmm. four disciplines of execution, you can kind of see some of those things being um, dovetailed well there, embracing accountability, focusing on results, making sure we're achieving the com- commitment. You know, when we look at keeping a scorecard, a cadence of accountability, like all those things dovetail really well with this book. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, what are the other behaviors? Uh, that's all. That was all five. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, you just you yeah, yeah. label them out. I just rattled them out. At the Rattle end. them all. Yeah. Uh, okay, so when it comes to leadership teams, I love what he did in this chapter because he talks about the size of a team as well and how a leadership team is not just a committee, right? And you're not just getting representation from all the departments, So he talks about even the idea that, hey, your leadership teams need to be smaller than eight people uh, because he was saying that once it gets beyond eight or nine people, members tend to advocate. This is how he puts it. They advocate a heck of a lot more than they inquire. This makes sense because they aren't confident that they're going to then get the opportunity to speak again soon. So they use their scarce floor time to announce their position or make a point. Anyone else been in a meeting like that? (laughs) Yes. When a team is small... Uh, Members are more likely to use much of their time asking questions, seeking clarity, and being confident that they're going to be able to regain the floor and share their ideas or opinions when necessary. And this goes back to things like Team of Teams, um, Crystal, and the idea we've talked about, I think, once or twice before on the podcast, you know, that the ideal team is like six. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, If nothing else, because of lines of communication. So, if you actually look at all the lines of communication in a team of six, it's it's actually fifteen, mm. uh, and then it goes up to twenty-one, and then it just it, it it's crazy. If you did the traditional, 
approach and said, oh, it's 12 to 15 people, you're looking at 120 some lines of communication. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Have you ever met those people who, you know, they're proud of having like 20 direct reports? Yes. And you're like, that's not, that's yeah, not yeah. something you should be proud of. No, you cannot effectively <laughs> even administrate that. No, in or outside of the church. No, you yeah. can't. You might be able to, uh, I'm I, okay. So if we look at dumping, delegating, developing, yeah. I mean, forget that. It's mm. like, you're definitely dumping. You yeah. might be administrating if I want to dovetail, uh, dovetail. Why am I dovetailing today? I'm not really Because you're sure. going with the Ds. I was. I yeah. was. If I want to slide in something between dumping and delegating, it might be administrating. Yeah, there's but also... You can't even effectively delegate. You know, I wish people. there was a D, another D for this, but I think before dumping, it's neglecting. Hmm. Neglecting, dumping, delegating, developing. <laughs> it just needs to be a D. Degradate. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's yeah. what it is. I mean, so never, because you're basically saying... You're degrading. Yeah, me. you're basically saying that you're you're not a good leader by having a lot of direct reports. Anyways, that was... Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Keep listening, even yeah. if that's you. We'll help you out sometime. Okay, so I, I really love this. He was like, hey, this is how you know that the team you have is healthy. And this is how you know that the team you have is cohesive. And this is what he said. Um, and this is a, this, this is the biggest differentiating between, differentiation between a working group and a real leadership team. He said, sacrifices. Right. So is there a collective sense of responsibility, which shows itself in selflessness and shared sacrifices? So this is how he puts it. What kind of sacrifices am I talking about? Well, first are the tangible, literal sacrifices. These include things like budget, headcount, resources, you know, all that kind of stuff. Making these kinds of sacrifices are much easier to commit to in theory than in practice because no leader likes to go back to his or her department. And, you know, he kind of goes on and on and on. But he said this, there are other sacrifices that team members have to make beyond these tangible ones. And they come about on a much more regular basis, often daily. Two big ones are time and emotion. Right. So obviously the tangible side of the sacrifices, a lot of teams don't do that because they're like, oh, you know, if we don't spend our budget by the end of this year, then we're going to lose it. Even though you really didn't need that extra set of lights. Yeah. <laughs> you really didn't. No. Yet you knew you had to spend it. Otherwise you thought you were going to lose it. And the kids ministry. Sorry, I'm not. I'm not talking about anyone specific. What? <laughs> What what the kids ministry the can't kids, get? Daniel. I know, it's but for the children. but the worship department needs another set of lights. Uh, the worship, <laughs> I can tell you stories about the worship department and being up in a catwalk and finding things in garbage bags. Oh man, not not that that ever happened to me. <laughs> not that I ever personally had that situation when wait okay so when you church. modeled for Abercrombie and Fitch did you go down what to catwalks what are you talking about I'm talking about in a church Daniel. oh sorry I went back to your Abercrombie and Fitch days. it's wrong here's the beautiful thing nobody nobody believes that uh, they can look at me and go that never happened okay so number two the first uh, or step to organizational health or discipline to organizational health is building a cohesive leadership team. And step two is about creating clarity. Oh, yeah. Right? So creating clarity. This is about just everyone being clear on the six. And this is what I love about this book. This is, this is beautiful. This is the gold of the book. 
six, six questions. questions. You want to yeah. do the first three? I'll do the second three. Sure. Or you want to do all of them? No. Yeah. I mean, I'll just list them out and we just can list them out. Yeah. Why do we exist? Number one. How this, do we behave? Number two. What were you going to say? I was going to say this gives your employees, your staff clarity. Um, if they can agree on the six answers to these six simple, very critical questions. Yeah. Why do we exist? How do we behave? What do we do? <laughs> Man, in a church context, what do we do? That can go so many different ways. That's how we do. <laughs> Number four, how will we succeed? Mm -hmm. That's another one. I mean, everyone's going to have a different scorecard if you don't oh, have yeah. a scorecard. What is most important right now? Right now. What is most important right now? And last one, who must do what? This is like, this is the book. This is the meat of the book. It's the crux. Yeah. So if you have, if you don't know the answers to those questions, then stop hiring people. <laughs> Seriously. If you don't know the answers to these questions, don't fire the person you're about to fire. Maybe you need to fire yourself. Daniel, you're <laughs> causing all kinds of issues today. Well, you fire tell, yourself. You call people out for direct number of direct <laughs> reports. Now you're firing people. No, fire yourself you're until to be the nice one. Fire yourself until you figure out the answers to these questions. Because maybe the reason your church is not growing, maybe the reason your church is not impacting your community the way that you really want it to. Maybe the reason why there's a lot of turnaround in your church is because you don't know the answer to these six questions. And if you don't know the answer to these six questions, you're just going to make them up yourself or everyone's going to make them up themselves, which then leads to a downward spiral of confusion. So I would say one of the best staff retreats you could ever have is to go answer these six questions and then, well, the first part is, hey, I explain contextually what these things mean because, mm -hmm. you know, why do we exist? That's an easy one. How do we behave is somewhat ambiguous. And what he's talking about and how you behave is what do you tolerate and what do you find intolerant? Mm -hmm. And in this instance, it's like we need, to more we need to find more things that we're intolerant of than we're tolerant of. Yeah. You know, what, what behavior do we condone and encourage that kind of a thing? So— and well, how do we behave? I mean, that is, that's, well, that's, that's where he talks about values. That's culture. Yeah, values and culture, yeah. So that's how you know what you value is the shared behavior within that organization or within in that organizational culture. Yeah. Um, what do we do? You know, the, the six questions. So if you went away and you walked through those six mm -hmm. and then you did that individually and then you came back together and walked through those and everybody when they came back into the room, had to, you know, put their post-it note up or their sheet or whatever it is that you had them record that on so that, I mean, naturally there's going to be some group think. Well, hopefully it's all the same and you're good to go. If not, then you need to take those divergent views and mm. converge them together and lead your team through that process. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if I've said this publicly. Uh-huh. But this book was really inspirational as I wrote No Silver Bullets. Really? Yeah. Especially that second question, how do, uh, uh, the how do we behave on, on values? I mean, I quote Lencioni's, his four values right. and the way he does that. But I mean, my big thing was, man, this is so revolutionary. How do we just make this even more tangible and practical for the church? Right. So that's where, I mean, take this book, take this question, take these questions, 
work through it. And you know you've succeeded in answering these questions, not when you have 40 pages of documentation and no one knows what from what, but when you have a one pager where it's so clear, the answer is so clear to each of these ones that everyone, if you had like five candidates that you were hiring for position, that everyone would probably choose the right person. Why? Because you know, everyone knows the answers to these six questions. If your answer to these six questions are too general, that's when you know you haven't done enough work. Hmm. All right. So step number three, well, step two is create clarity. Step three was over communicate clarity. <laughs> so this is the whole idea of cascading communication. And, and that's honestly one of my favorite parts of death by meeting. We did a book breakdown on that and, and did the whole idea of the meeting stew and talked about it. But, but the biggest thing about cascading communication is do you have a way for when something is decided upon that it's actually communicated up, down, all around, <laughs> you know, in so many different means, because you as the leader making the decision, you get it, right? And you're like, oh, well, I, we decided it. Everyone knows it. I said it once. But you spent mm. so much time working on it, thinking about it, praying through it. And everyone else, all they heard was that one sentence you said right. in the midst of everything else. So how do you better communicate uh, have real-time communication. I mean, the number of churches now using Slack is pretty... Yeah, it just keeps on going up. And right. I, I think there's the free there's a free version that you can use as well right. that I know churches are using. And, and why Slack? Why not just iMessage it? Uh, well, because not everyone has an Apple iPhone, you know, when right. that text bubble goes from blue to green. <laughs> and you can drop gifts into Slack. Yes, you people. can. Yeah. So that's important to note too, because some people, like our team, if there's a, a text string <laughs> for our team, it's, I think at least one every five messages has to be a gift. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, here, but here's the reason something like Slack works really well. It's institutional knowledge, right? You have a, you have a record for it's searchable. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know how many times I've, we've been talking and I'm like, man, I didn't file that away. And I just search in Slack and I find an answer, especially as it relates to ministry grid. So, so those, the three keys to cascading communication are message consistency from one leader to another, the timeliness of delivery and live real time communication is super important. Yeah. And the last point, the last discipline is reinforcing clarity. And I love this. He talks about the idea of reinforcing clarity, uh, specifically using systems, right? And he, and he gives a list mm, of systems. Praise the Lord. I know, right? I mean, this is my language, our love language right here. Okay. So here are the systems that he talks about. And man, I have so much written down here. I'm not going to I think we've probably ran over time. So <laughs> I'll just label off the systems and you can buy the book and, and go ahead with it. The first one is recruiting and hiring. So this, if you haven't answered the six questions, it's, I mean, you can't recruit and hire well. Uh, interviewing, orientation, performance management, compensation and rewards, recognition and firing. All six questions will help you do those systems well, which will reinforce the clarity. Hmm. So good. <laughs> he talks about, um, uh, you know, the best the best systems are the s most simple and least sophisticated ones. Yeah. So yes. don't think it has to be some complex thing uh, that you have to hire a full time person to manage, or that you have to hire somebody to come up with. 
Um, if you do hire somebody, hire them to bring clarity and simplicity, not to bring complexity. Yeah, completely. All right. So what are things that churches should ignore from this book? I had a quote that I wanted to share and then get some thoughts on. Okay. Right. So this is what he says. Finally, if a team shares a common objective, a good portion of their compensation or reward structure, though not necessarily all of it, should be based on the achievement of that common objective. When leaders preach teamwork, but exclusively reward individual achievement, they are confusing their people and creating an obstacle to true team behavior. Okay. So the reason I bring this up here is because I honestly wanted to talk about whether or not you've seen churches reward staff based on the, the achievement of a common goal, of a common objective. Uh, that's, that's initially why I wanted to bring this up. What you should ignore from this is I don't think you should be trying to reward structure and compensate everything that a church staff does. But I think a lot of churches under reward and undercompensate. But I did want to talk about the whole idea of collective, if you've seen that. I've seen just about everything okay. in churches, yeah. frankly. But, I mean, you know, I've, I've seen situations where even, hey, this was a BHAG or a wig yeah. uh, for the whole church. And then, you know, the whole, the whole church is rowing in one direction. And then, you know, there's a guy that there's a single guy that gets rewarded for all of it. Oh, okay. Uh, and so that's, you know, not necessarily, not necessarily what I would want to see. Um, it, it, if it's a collective victory, even though there might be somebody who's out in front, um, there's just as many people, you know, that are, that are, uh, down below decks that are rowing on a daily basis. And it was just as important for them to be, you know, there who is to say, you know, which person, um, if all of us are rowing, which person made that, made the difference. Yeah. But in terms of compensation though, and rewards, have you seen on a staff level, on a paid staff level, when a team has been rewarded? Oh yeah. And what, what, how have you seen that? Is that, was that monetary? Was that no go to the escape room and the church will pay for it or (laughs) (laughs) almost that, I mean, you know, it would be, Hey, let's celebrate this win. Let's celebrate this victory. Um, you know, this team is all going out to a really nice dinner. Okay, gotcha. Um, and that would be celebrated in front of the other staff. That everybody would know that they were okay. Yeah, that they were headed in that direction. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Any other different ways that you've seen that? Um, again, on individuals. So yeah. I like. I was always a guy who liked. Um, non comp like yes compensation awards need to be there in place and that's usually in the context of a performance review yeah but there's things like spot bonuses or uh gifts that you know are meaningful to that person there are some gifts that provide more value than their monetary value yeah um and i'm not just saying you know an apple device or Mm -hmm. something because you know that's like oh it's I paid four hundred dollars, or I don't even know if you can get an Apple device for four hundred dollars anymore. <laughs> um, you know, I paid a thousand dollars for this, but the return is much higher. The perceived yeah, yeah, value yeah. is much higher because you got me something that anybody would really want—the latest, greatest, fill in the blank—that mm-hmm. um, I would never buy for myself. I mean, you know, there's stuff like that, but then there's there's also 
you know, the tangible spot bonus of cash. Yeah. I don't like cash mm. personally. I would rather um, give somebody something that was I knew was truly meaningful to them or to their spouse or family. So it's like, hey, let me get this for your family. You've sacrificed yeah. time with your family. So to reward that, I want your family to know. I want I want you to know, but I also want your wife to know we really value you here and the work that you do and the ministry that you do here. And the next time something comes up on a weekend or the next time, you know, there's a, a funeral or some big issue that we have to address as a church, I'm going to find a lot more forgiveness with your, with your wife yeah, the, or husband. Yeah. The, the, case may be. the personalization of gifts right. is huge. And, um, it was, so Christina and I, on, on the podcast we do together, we did an episode on Enneagram and gift giving. And we interviewed this guy who he's an expert in Enneagram. And we basically said, can you, can you tell us what best, what, what gifts to give the different Enneagram numbers? Right. It was fascinating to hear him speak. And, and at the end of it, he, this was the second time we had interviewed him. And, and I mean, it's just a podcast we do together. I mean, we, we don't should interview him on here. Yeah, we should. We should. That would be fun. Because I want to know what gift he would give me. I want to <laughs> see if he's good. So eight wing seven. Eight wing seven. So the the interesting thing is, I mean, we had interviewed him two times, and afterward, I mean, we don't. I mean, it's just my wife and I doing our podcast. It's not like we have we're making money or anything like that. We're just doing it for fun. But we we're like, you know, he's been on twice, and that was really good. Let's send him a gift. So we knew he was an Enneagram type three like us. Right. So we and and one of the things was. Type threes love gifts that relate to productivity. So I bought him one of those Wemo plugs, you know, those ones that you, uh, smart plugs yeah. just into your wall. And I just, I just sent it over to him and he was like, this is awesome. It's like perfect for me. And you know, it was like, well, it was $20 or something right. like that. But I mean the thoughtfulness. Oh, totally. Because you know, I know it's something that he would enjoy. So, I mean, that's huge. And I, I fully agree with you too. That is way more better than cash. It's because yeah. cash, it just goes, yeah. you don't know where it goes. Exactly. You don't. And it, it's, it's a lot less meaningful. Like yeah. some guys, a, a lot of people would say, oh, I'd rather have cash. But at the end of the day, would you, would you really? Yeah. Would you really? <laughs> now you might want cash instead of a random gift card, but. Yeah. Or a bobblehead. Or definitely a bobblehead. <laughs> Unless it's a Spurgeon bobblehead. I might have one of those. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last question. What can you do this week in light of this book? Buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, guys. Uh, no, honestly, six questions. The were, six questions, yeah. I think, is an immediate thing for you to you to ask. And even if you, if there's only one other person that you uh, have on your staff or that you work with that at your business, like wherever you find yourself leading this would be a great time for you to take a step back and take a look at those six questions and, and process those. We'll put those in the show notes as well. Yeah, completely. So uh, you can just go to leadership.lifeway.com and follow the links to find the five leadership questions podcast, the show notes and, and all that. But before we turn things off and say adieu, we do want to let you know about J.D. Greer's new Bible study, The Gospel Above All. The cool thing is we've already gotten feedback about the about the Bible study so far from listeners like you being like, 
Uh, what was that again? I need to do that right now. And the coolest thing about it is that J.D. Greer is joined by David Platt, Jen Wilkin, Vance Pittman, Rosaria Butterfield, Walter Strickland, Greg Laurie, Al Moeller, Kevin, Kevin Smith, a lot of these guests that we've actually had on the podcast. And the whole study is about what it means for believers to elevate the gospel above all other priorities in our lives and in our churches. So that's the gospel above all. And lastly, if you haven't yet tuned into Rainer on leadership, be sure to do so because there's a lot of, I mean, I love the content that they're putting out. I'm so glad they're a part of the, the podcast network. Always practical, immediately applicable. <laughs> you like saying that. So just look up Rainer on leadership on your favorite podcasting app and subscribe today.